Well, we come today to another one of our questions concerning the end times in our What Is series. We look today at what, not who, remember last week? Look at what is the Antichrist. I told you last week that I do not believe, and I've never shown, have anybody show anything different, that there is anything in Scripture that gives us the ability to identify who the Antichrist is this side of tribulation. Now, it makes for great conferences. It makes for great book sales if you can call out who the Antichrist is and show the prophecies that add up to this person or that person. Unfortunately, in my opinion, it's just not biblical. There's nothing this side of the tribulation that identifies who he is. Now, by my view, by my understanding of the, of the tribulation and the rapture, I'm either going to have died and been raptured, or I'm going to be alive and be raptured. But either way, I'm going to be with Jesus when that guy's identified. That, now, that's pretty good news, isn't it? Because what we're about to look at is pretty darn scary. This truly is a, a very intriguing uh, mysterious individual in prophecy and scripture. I mean, you, you just say it and it just kind of gets goosebumps and it just, woo, you know, and, and that's what we tend to do with this character is just kind of get mystical and crazy. What I want to do today is, is hopefully bring some clarity, bring some concreteness to who this person is, to, to what he does. And as I often say, I think the best place to start doing that is not what somebody said, but what God said. So would you turn with me this morning to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you, around you. Uh, if it's not right in front of you, I'm sure somebody will hand you one if you point to it. But uh, we're going to read a little bit of a lengthy passage, but a very interesting passage about the Antichrist and about the false prophet. Revelation 13. End of your Bible, unless you're in the maps, then back up just a few pages. Revelation chapter 13, I'm going to begin in verse 1. It says there, And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. He had ten horns. Now horns throughout Scripture are representative of powers of governments. So he had ten governments, seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear's and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon, and that's a reference to Satan, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. One of his heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but his fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? And a mouth was given to him to speak boasts and blasphemies. He was also given authority to act for 42 months. Notice the amount of time he can rule is defined by God. Everything this guy does, as awesome, as scary, as powerful as it is, is limited, is boundaried, is defined by God. He's got 42 months. Verse 6, he began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. He was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. He was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. 
If I could pick up now on verse 11, as we talk about the next beast. We just were introduced to the beast of the sea. That's the Antichrist. Now his false prophet in verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he sounded like a dragon. He exercises all of the authority of the first beast on his behalf, and he compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth before people. He deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that he is permitted to perform on behalf of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the sword wound yet lived. He was permitted to give a spirit to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he requires everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. What's the mark? It's the beast's name or the number of his name. Well, what's the number of his name? Well, here's wisdom. The one who has understanding must calculate the number of the beast because it's the number of a man. His number is 666. Just kind of spooky saying that, isn't it? Had somebody tell me the other day they went into a, a hotel room and, and the air conditioner had been turned way down low and they, they, they went to adjust it and they looked on the thing and it was 66.6 and they got, they got scared and felt like they had to leave the room and you know go change to another room. Ha ha! You know, if you get change back and your change is 666, you say, just forget it, keep it! That's not what the number's about. We're going to come back to that m number in a moment. Now folks, Satan is a counterfeiter. And what we just read here is Satan's counterfeit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Antichrist and the false prophet are a counterfeit to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's what Satan does. He counterfeits everything that God has for us. And in that counterfeit, hopes to lure us in, trick us, and then ultimately destroy us. Let me give you a couple examples. God gives us an incredible and a wonderful gift of a sexual relationship between one man and one woman inside of marriage. And accomplished that way, defined in that way, it brings holiness, it brings intimacy, it brings a oneness and a specialness to that man and woman. Satan comes with something very much like that, but it's a counterfeit. Satan brings pornography and homosexuality and sex anywhere and everywhere but marriage. And what does the counterfeit do? Well, it reduces us to acting like animals. It causes diseases and it breaks relationships. You see how, you see how the counterfeit, it looks very much the same. It lures us in, but then it destroys God brings us a personal relationship with Himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And when by faith we come into that relationship, we enjoy freedom, we enjoy forgiveness as we just heard sung about. We have joy and meaning and purpose. What does Satan bring us? He brings religion. He brings self-righteousness. He brings ritual that leaves us stuck in guilt and ultimately in death. Folks, Satan is a counterfeiter. That's what he does. Only God has what you need this morning. 
Only God. Whatever you're looking for, I'm looking for help. I'm looking for answers. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for strength. Whatever you're looking for, only God has it. And we come to have what He has by the way He defines it in His way in Scripture. But be rest, rest assured, Satan's going to bring you a counterfeit. It's a whole lot easier. Unfortunately, it destroys you in the process. Now let me show you how Satan has set up the Antichrist and the false prophet to kind of mirror Jesus and the Holy Spirit, to kind of have the same function and form. If we could switch over to our PowerPoint here. Now folks, I'm going to go through this kind of quickly. Uh, Just a reminder, you can go to our website, chbaptist.com. You can download all these notes. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but what I hope you'll do, go to the website, click on the What Is Sermon series, get these notes. You can look up these verses and, and study them a little bit more on your own but this for this morning is just a a quick comparison you see here we've got christ and the antichrist both have a reference to the diadems to the rule both have reference to their name christ causes men to worship god the antichrist causes them to to worship satan Uh, jump to the bottom we see obviously that christ died and he rose again satan is going to mimic that in in the antichrist with this fatal head wound i'm going to address that more in just a second so you see a a similarity between christ and the antichrist look at the false prophet in the holy spirit holy spirit points men to jesus they're equal remember i said that last week the holy spirit is absolutely equal to christ but he uses all of his authority all of his power and deity to point people to christ well that's what we just read about the false prophet he has all the authority he has all the same power as the antichrist but he uses it to point people to the Antichrist. Uh, The Holy Spirit seals believers. We don't have to worry about a mark. We've already been marked. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. False prophet's going to do something similar with the mark of the beast. Holy Spirit gives mankind truth. The, The false prophet deceives people from the truth. Satan is a counterfeiter. That's all he does. He has nothing to offer you but what is a counterfeit. But folks, let me tell you something about Satan. He's a smart counterfeiter. He is a lot smarter than you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your susceptibility. He knows what kind of counterfeit to bring to you. He knows the counterfeit you're going to be most fooled by. Folks, it's the kind of thing when you understand His ability, His wisdom and strength, it should scare you. But you don't have to worry about it. The way to handle the counterfeit, the way to recognize the the counterfeiting activity of Christ is to grow in an intimate knowledge with the real thing. Folks, the more you grow in an intimate understanding with Christ and His Word, the more you're going to spot the counterfeit. The more you're going to have no need for the counterfeit. But that does mean to be in a growing relationship. Folks, a growing relationship doesn't mean I attend a building once a week. That, that I sit in there and say, yeah, yeah, I believe in that stuff. Growing means I am learning more and more about Jesus. I'm learning more and more about His way as communicated in Scripture. And, and I'm a step closer to Him this week than I was a month ago and certainly a year ago. I'm growing in my knowledge of what God communicates in His Word. I'm growing in these things because there is a counterfeiter out there running around. And I don't want to end up with what's empty. I don't want to end up with what's worthless. I don't want to end up with what destroys. So we need to pursue that that growing relationship with Christ. 
Now, folks, I just read one long passage on the Antichrist. I want to read one more passage. I'm going to put a couple of passages up here on the screen. That's just a couple. That's not all of them. But I thought you might want to jot down some passages and and on your own time go and read a little bit more about how the Antichrist is described. Uh, As you're jotting those down, I want to read the one in 2 Thessalonians. If you want to turn there, go back to your left, go through some small books, Hebrews and Run into a couple of other small books, Philemon, Timothy. You'll be pretty close then to getting to Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I want to begin reading in verse 3. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's sanctuary, publicizing that he himself is God. Verse 5, don't you remember that when I was still with you, I told you about this? And you know what currently restrains. Now keep that word restrains in your mind. That's an important word. There's something that is restraining the, the work of Satan. There is something that is restraining the revealing of the Antichrist right now. You know what currently restrains him, so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he's out of the way. The restrainer is going to restrain the lawlessness for a period of time until he's removed. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing with the brightness of his coming." The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders and with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept. Now, folks, this is really critical. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. That's an important phrase. We're going to come back to it in a moment. Verse 11, for this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false, so that all will be condemned. Those who did not believe the truth, but enjoyed unrighteousness. Now, we've just read two pretty lengthy passages. Did y'all notice what name was never mentioned? Antichrist. I just read two long passages about the Antichrist, never actually said the word Antichrist. There is a number of names for this character. Obviously, in Revelation, he's referred to as the beast of the sea. In this passage, he's the man of lawlessness. Antichrist is actually only used one time in one book, and that's in 1 John chapter 2 and 4. You, you see the name Antichrist, but there's a, a number of names for him. It just seems like Antichrist is kind of the one that has stuck, that we, we seem to use the most. Now, you take all of these passages, the two I've read and and some of the others, and we learn a number of things about the Antichrist. Let's look at this. We learn a little bit about who he is. He is going to come out of, he's going to be the 11th king, the 11th government that's going to rise up out of 10 governments, mostly European states. He's going to be empowered by Satan. He's going to be a proud and arrogant individual, as you just saw already, characterized by lawlessness. Uh, He's going to speak blasphemous things against God. And he's going to set himself up to be worshipped as God. Now, what is he going to do? Let's look at this next list. 
What will he do? Now, actually, there's going to be eight things there, and they'll scroll to that in a moment. I'm going to take on all eight and describe them here for a moment. I have been saying for two weeks now, we can't pick out who he is from a distance. The things that identify the Antichrist all take place inside of the tribulation. With the coming of the first four horsemen of the apocalypse, those first four seal judgments, and the front half, the first half of the tribulation, in that comes the Antichrist. He is going to sign a treaty with Israel. Now, we've had leaders sign a treaty with Israel, haven't we? Yeah, we've had that. That doesn't make them the Antichrist. And that this leader is also going to break that treaty. Well, we've had leaders break a treaty with Israel, haven't we? Yeah, that doesn't make them the Antichrist. It's a number of things. They have to sign a treaty. There also has to be a temple. We don't have a temple in Jerusalem right now. I don't know if that temple is going to get started being built tomorrow or with the signing of this treaty that, that Jerusalem, that the Israelites will have a sense of security and freedom that they can build that temple without an attack by the Muslims. But whenever that happens, there has to be a temple. So it's not just the signing of the treaty. It's the signing of a treaty. There's a temple in place. And then at the three and a half year mark, and folks, that's not a mystical number. It's not a representative number. It's not a symbolic number. It's three and a half years. It says it in the Old Testament. It says it in the New Testament. Sometimes it refers to it as three and a half years. Sometimes it refers to it as 42 months, which if you'll do the math is, guess how long? Three and a half years. It's three and a half years on the button. A treaty is signed Three and a half years later, the treaty is broken. And at that moment, the Antichrist will move into the temple. And it, you see that phrase, an abomination of desolation. That's kind of a mouthful, isn't it? It just means he's going to go in there and he's going to do something to, to uh, desecrate the temple to such a degree that, that no Jew would ever enter it again. And, and, and he'll, he'll desecrate it, he'll, he'll make it impure, and he will set himself up as God. That's the major sign that we're looking at the Antichrist. That's when you know that is the Antichrist right there. Until he is standing in a Jewish temple, you don't know that you have the Antichrist. So this is the things he's going to do. Of course, he's going to oppose Christ. He's going to put together nations that will fight him at Armageddon. He's going to kill the two witnesses. These are things that we all talked about last week. Look at this last one. He will perform signs, miracles, and will deceive by overcoming a fatal head wound. Now, there are people who struggle uh, in interpreters, theologians that struggle with the powers that Satan has here. Because as you read through this, Satan seems to have the ability to do all kinds of miracles. And, and the great miracle is it appears the Antichrist dies. It refers to a, a sword wound. There's going to be some kind of act of aggression, an attack against the Antichrist. He's going to get a sword wound to the head. And, and the, all of the words there, some say, well, he's not really dead. Well, it's a deception. But when you just look at the words being used in the Greek language, really the only way to read it is the Antichrist is going to die. He is going to be killed by this act. And then he is going to be raised to life. Now, nowhere else in Scripture. We do see other places where, where Satan and demons uh, counterfeit, mimic miracles. We don't see any other place in Scripture all the way to Revelation 13 where Satan is given the power to raise somebody to life. And for some, that just, well, guys, does that, does that make Satan equal to God? Can Satan do the same thing that God can do? Absolutely not. Folks, that's why I just read the passage in 2 Thessalonians 2. It says very clearly where Satan's powers and ability come from. They come from God. God gives him the ability to do those miracles. God is going to give him the ability to raise the Antichrist to life. 
say, why would, why, would, why would God do that? So that people are deceived. <laughs> well, now that doesn't clear things up any. You, you mean God wants people to be deceived? No, God wants people to know the truth. That's why he's given us the Bible. That's why for thousands of years he has communicated the truth. But folks, ultimately humanity will come to a point where they demand the lie. They demand the counterfeit. Now I say humanity will come to a point. We've always been at that point, haven't we? There's people in this world that I don't want the truth. I want the lie. I want the counterfeit. What is going to come to a point is there will be a place where God says, okay, you want the lie? Here's the lie. You want the counterfeit and all the destruction that comes with it? Here it is. If you want to be deceived, folks, God will allow you to be deceived. He'll reach a point where the truth will be withdrawn. And so God is giving Satan, allowing Satan to have to use these powers ultimately to fulfill his purposes, to bring judgment on the world that rejected the truth, that rejected his son. So we don't have to worry about what kind of powers Satan has. Everything we read, and not just in these passages, everything in Scripture, anything and everything that Satan does is defined by God. He can't go anywhere outside of the boundaries that God gives him. Even as I said a moment ago, even the amount of time that the Antichrist is going to be allowed to do what he does on this earth is defined by God. 42 months. At 42 months, you're done. Doesn't matter what power he has. Doesn't matter what he has done. God will say, today, you're done. So this is what he's going to be doing. Now, what's his time? When will he be here? You notice that passage I said, He will be revealed when that which restraineth is removed. And we've talked a lot about timing. We've seen some other things. We know he's going to be in the tribulation, coming with the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the back half of the three and a half years. But this number one, when the restrainer is removed, causes a lot of interesting debate. What is the restrainer? A lot of different ideas about that. The two most prominent ideas is that the restrainer is the church. When the church is here, folks, our very presence on this planet restrains evil. Think about this. How many millions of people around this planet today are praying for safety, praying for protection, praying for their government, praying for peace at war? Well, folks, those prayers are answered. Those prayers make a difference. Well, can you imagine? And we know how this is going to happen, the rapture. If the church is raptured up, there's no believers, there's no praying going on. Guess what happens? Evil runs amok. There's nothing restraining it. There's no prayers being lifted up. There's nothing holding back that evil. Now, another idea of what the restrainer is, and this is actually the idea that I hold to, is that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's influence, the Holy Spirit's presence on this planet that restrains evil. But number one and number two kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Because if the Holy Spirit is lifted up out of the world, guess who has to go with them? The church! Because we've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Baptized by the Holy Spirit. We're filled by the Holy Spirit. When His ministry comes to a conclusion and He is lifted up off the earth, the church has to go with them. Now, I didn't use this as a, as a reason a couple of weeks ago that I don't believe the church goes through the tribulation, but this would be one of them. This argues at least for a mid-tribulational view, if not a pre-tribulational, that the church will be raptured before the tribulation because the restrainer is removed. The Holy Spirit is removed. We can't be here if He's gone. So that is, that is the win of His time. Now, folks, we, we look at all this 
And, and it's easy to get scared in the power of this guy. But you know what? We don't have to fear the Antichrist. We just have to put our faith in the Christ. Can we say that? We don't have to fear the Antichrist. We just put our faith in the Christ. There's three things a believer can know for sure. Number one, Jesus will destroy the Antichrist. And as I said last week, and as you just read in 2 Thessalonians 2, it's not going to be a big giant battle. Armageddon's made to be this massive battle. It's going to be a big battle. It's just going to be real quick. By the brightness of Christ appearing, the Antichrist will immediately be destroyed. So he has no power that can compete with the Christ. Uh, he, the one who is greater, Jesus, the one who is in us, is greater than the one who's in the world. That's a reference to the Antichrist. And then lastly, the future of the Antichrist is already set. Whatever the Antichrist does, whatever it looks like he's getting away with, folks, his future is set. He's going to the lake of fire. That's already been determined. So we don't need to fear the Antichrist. We need to trust the Christ. Now let's move on quickly and look real, uh, at, the, uh, at the false prophet and this number 666. The false prophet, folks, is going to bring a choice on this planet. That's the role of the false prophet. He is going to force humanity to make a choice. And the choice is going to get whittled down. That The choice is not going to be between Buddha and Confucius and Islam. It's not going to be a chance to worship the trees and the mountains. Your choice isn't even atheism. Atheism will not be a choice. There'll be two choices on the planet. The Christ or the Antichrist. And there'll be a high cost for making that choice. And it's going to be the false prophet that's going to bring that choice to bear. Let's look real quickly. A couple of things we just read from Revelation 13 to get an idea of what this false prophet is like, what he's going to do. He's going to cause men to worship the beast of the sea. He's going to be the leader of this one world religion that will promote the, the exaltation of the Antichrist as God. He's going to do great miracles, even calling fire from heaven. We just read that. I just explained that. He's going to give breath to the image of the beast. I don't know if you remember just reading that just a moment ago. Apparently, there's going to be a statue uh, of the Antichrist built on the earth. And the false prophet is going to do some kind of miracle that seems to bring this inanimate object to life. Again, a part of the delusion, a part of the deception. But he's going to bring this statue for life. And then he is going to require all people to receive the mark of the beast. Now, folks, we talk a lot about, you know, the computer chip and you'll get that. And that's why you'll buy or sell. The goal of the mark is not buying and selling. That's not why people are getting the mark of the beast. It's not to buy or sell. It is to express your allegiance, your devotion to the Antichrist. Buying and selling is just a control measure. That's just a little motivation to kind of keep people moving in the right direction as they're getting the mark. Now, what is this mark? Boy, we get crazy on this mark. I googled this week 666. There's just a tad over 84 million websites on 666. It took me almost three hours to go through all 84 million. It was something. Don't waste your time. <laughs> what is... Man, folks, we, we go nuts with this number. We go nuts with the mark. You know, I go back to Revelation 13. The mark, you're going to get a mark. What is the mark? It's very simple. It's His name. Whoever it is, it is His name. Or you can get the number of His name. 
Now, people have wanted to grab that number and say, we can use this number, we can calculate something, and we're going to be able to guess out in the future who this person is. And I mean, there's all kinds of... As a matter of fact, if you take Caesar Nero, and he was at one time considered possibly by many to be, be the Antichrist, if you take his name, guess what the numerical value of it is? 666. Well, if you add an N... That's exactly how the theory was written. Caesar Nero's name equals 666 if you add another N. But the scripture didn't say add another N. Another one. How's this for fun? WWW. The internet. WWW, that English letter, the equivalent to the Hebrew letter and its numerical value is guess what? Ooh. <laughs> kind of spooky, isn't it? But you know what? Aren't all the letters of all the different alphabets of all the languages different? This was written in Greek. It, it was Greek, actually. It wasn't English. It wasn't Hebrew. It was Greek that said, calculate it as 666. Folks, I don't believe that God gave us this number. And here's the reason why. Because outside of that verse, everything else says you're not going to know who He is till you're in the tribulation. So when God gives us this number, I don't think it's so we sit here and take 6-6 and multiply it by the change in our pocket and divide our weight and stand on one foot and we'll be able to see who it is, you know, 10 years away, 50 years away, 400 years away. It's not a number to forecast, it's a number to confirm. It'll just be one more identifying mark when you're in the tribulation that that's who that person is. And that person's name and that number... Some will choose, many will choose to have branded on their body. Now, when you go to those 84 million websites, you're going to see a lot of popular ideas about what the mark is. Mentioned already several times, one of the very popular ideas is it's going to be a computer chip that's going to go under your skin. My only problem with that, and I'm not saying that the Antichrist isn't going to use a computer chip. My only problem with that is it goes under the skin. When you look at the meaning, the literal meaning of the word, and you look at the way the word is used. As a matter of fact, would you put up some passages there from Revelation? These are passages where the word mark is used. All the places that it talks about the mark of the beast. When you read those, it's very clear, folks, this is a visible thing. The word mark, literally, that Greek word literally means to etch, to scratch, or to stamp. In other words, it's something that's going to be like, like a tattoo or something. It's going to be a, a permanent mark on the skin. There'd be no value in being underneath the skin. The purpose is a visible way on my hand, on my forehead, a visible way to say, I belong to the Antichrist. So why would you put it underneath the skin? You see, folks, you're not going to be able to hide your loyalty in the Great Tribulation. See, we can hide our loyalty today, can't we? I mean, I can come in here. We're all loyal to Christ in here, aren't we? Man, Christ is my best friend. I'm for Jesus. I belong to Jesus. Now, a lot of us will end up somewhere this week in a place where we just kind of want to downplay that a little bit. That won't be such the big, the big thing. Like it is on Sunday morning. We'll be kind of quiet about that. You won't have that option in the Great Tribulation. You don't get to downplay your loyalty in the Great Tribulation. Folks, whatever this mark is, this is the fact. The mark brings a high cost to this world. There's going to be a high cost for declaring who your allegiance is. If you don't get the mark, if, you're a, if you become a believer, remember on the rapture, there's no, once the rapture happens, there's no believers on the planet. But people during the tribulation will come to faith in Christ. 
They will come to Jesus. If you don't take the mark, you're not going to be able to buy or sell. That's not the real bad deal because you're not going to have time to buy and sell because most of the people who do not take the mark are going to be beheaded. High cost for following Christ. We don't really sell that in American Christianity, do we? No, following Christ is about being happy. Following Christ is about God coming into my life and making everything better for me. We don't like to talk about the cost of following Christ. And folks, there's no cost to getting into heaven. There's no cost to coming to Christ and becoming His child. But to follow Him, there's a cost for following Christ. But there's a cost for not following Christ. There's a cost for taking the mark. Because if you remember from last week when we went through all those judgments of the tribulation, if you take the mark, there's going to be a particular judgment in which a bunch of sores are going to be poured out on your body. You're going to be tormented day and night. And ultimately, if you take the mark, you're going to get to spend all eternity with the beast in the lake of fire. So see, folks, there's a cost for taking the mark. There's a cost for not taking the mark. So guess what? The cost really isn't the issue. The mark is really not the issue. Who you're loyal to is the issue. That's not just a great tribulation issue, is it? Now, the great tribulation is going to narrow down the choices. The great tribulation is going to intensify the choice. But folks, this principle is just as true in our lives today. We have good and bad loyalties. And based on those good and bad loyalties, we make good and bad decisions every single day. What kind of decisions are you making to be loyal to Christ? What kind of decisions are you making to visibly be a loyal follower of Christ? There's a cost if you do that. No cost for getting into heaven. No cost for coming to Christ. But as I follow Christ, I trust in Christ. I, I trust in Jesus. I'm going to live His way. Well, that means I'm going to, well, I'm just going to say it again, live His way. So I'm not going to follow the way of the world. I'm not going to let the world define a, a sexual relationship for me. I'm not going to let the world define marriage. I'm not going to let the world define finances. I'm not going to let the world define how I handle anger and hurt. I'm not going to let the world define my priorities. I'm going to forsake all that. I'm going to let Christ define all that. I'm going to follow Christ's way and all that. But if you do that, you can be made fun of. If you do that, you can be left out. If you do that, you can be mocked. You could lose relationships for doing that. You could lose money for doing that. There's a cost to following Christ. But there's a cost to not following too. Because if you don't follow, you're demanding that God give you the lie. You're demanding that God give you the counterfeit. And nothing comes with that but destruction of your life. Who are you loyal to? It's easy to answer that in here. A little bit more challenging out there. Now while I'm awful grateful in my belief, in my opinion, that I'm not going to have to go through the tribulation, folks, the reason that God's not going to call us to go through the tribulation is not so that we can hide our loyalties. Jesus says over and over and over in the Gospels, do not be ashamed of me or I will be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my Father 
and his holy angels at the end of time. Will you be loyal? Will it be visible? It'll cost. It's going to cost either way. Let's pray. Father, we're sorry that uh, this past week we have hidden our loyalty to you. Now, as I say that, Lord, I don't know if that's true of every single person in this room, but it's, it's probably true of most of us. There was a place that we purposely just kind of downplayed our, our faith, our values, our, our knowledge of what Scripture says should be happening in this place, in this relationship, in this moment, in this conversation, in this decision. God, maybe we didn't downplay it. We're just so ignorant of the real thing. We didn't even see that it was a place to express our loyalty to our Savior. Father, I'm grateful. I'm not going to have to go through the great tribulation. But I don't want to use that as an excuse to not make a clear choice about who I belong to. And the profession that comes out of my mouth and the actions that are produced in my life. I don't want anything to mark me as belonging to the world and Satan and Antichrist. I want my life to be clearly marked as belonging to you. God, would you give us the faith? Would you give us the courage? And would you show us how this week? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.